Please do keep your Bibles open at that passage, and we'll look at it together. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Father, we praise you that you're a speaking God. Thank you that you've made yourself known um, from the creation of the world. Thank you that you sent Jesus into this world to, to make known the wonderful plan of salvation. Father, we pray that as we come to your word, that you will speak to us. We pray that your word will be at work in us, shaping us and changing us, uh, making us uh, more like your son, worthy of being part of your family. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, last week, we started working through this, this fantastic letter, Paul's first letter to this church in, in Thessalonica. Uh, last week in chapter 1, we saw um, part of Paul's aim, at least his aim in the, the opening chapters, is really to give these young Christians confidence that they are authentic Christians, that they, they are the real deal, that they are genuine Christians. Um, and, and we saw um, last week he gave reasons why they can be confident, and their reasons focused on, on, on them and what the gospel had done in them, uh, how they had responded to the gospel message. We saw the trio of faith, love, and hope as evidence that shows that the gospel has been at work among them, that they are authentic Christians. Uh, this week, Paul uh, sticks with the theme of being an authentic Christian, but just takes a slightly different uh, slant. Uh, who here has had, a, had to uh, take a trip to home affairs or, um, or the traffic department recently? Okay. Uh, probably maybe 10% of you. That's, that's more than I expected. Um, how long were the queues when you guys were there? Okay, some um, panicked-looking faces. Um, I remember hearing of two friends this last year. Um, one had to go to home affairs. One had to go to the traffic department. Um, the first friend who went to the traffic department, um, they were there for uh, almost three hours, and then someone came out of the traffic department and said, we're not serving anyone beyond this point, and everyone else was just sent home. Uh, three hours waste of time. Uh, the, the person who went to home affairs, it was even worse. Yeah, multiple days, actually. Three consecutive days from before the sun rose, waiting in a queue, only to get turned away every day, desperately needing passports for their kids, but unable to get it. Eventually, they got sorted out at a different home affairs. But both these people, I remember, as they uh, expressed their frustration of the, the complete failure um, of their, their task, the, the complete waste of time, um, they, they literally lost hours or days of their life and got nothing out of it. Uh, the passage that we're looking at tonight, Paul still starts with dealing with the question uh, as to whether their missionary journey to the Thessalonians was a failure. Was it a complete waste of time? Uh, in the words of verse 1, was, was it without results? So if you've got the ESV in front of you, was it in vain? Was it a failure, a waste of time? See, Paul and Silas had visited Thessalonica, uh, as part of their, their missionary journey. They were going from town to town, and one of the towns they stopped at was Thessalonica. Now, last week we saw that their stay in Thessalonica was fairly brief. 
there had been a good number of converts, uh, both from Jewish background and from Greek background, men and women converted. But then there was also some violent opposition against the gospel. Some jealous Jews um, had got together and formed a mob. They uh, ended in dragging Jason and some of the other believers before the courts um, and, and accusing them of uh, causing havoc in the town by welcoming Paul and Silas into their home. So after a few weeks, literally a few weeks, at most maybe a couple of months, Paul and Silas had to flee. Um, and this very new group of Christians, baby Christians, are left to fend for themselves. You could easily see why someone might think their missionary trip was a failure. Maybe Paul was concerned about that. Or maybe the Thessalonians thought this was a failure. But that is not what Paul thinks. Have a look at what he says in verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. In no ways does Paul think his time in Thessalonica was a waste. In no ways does he think that missionary journey was uh, a failure. Uh, it was not without results. It was not in vain. Verse 2, he tells us why he views that trip as not being a failure. Verse 2 says, We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi. That's the t previous town that they were in before they came to Thessalonica. Um, but with the help of God, we dared tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. But Paul doesn't see their trip as a failure at all because Paul and Silas had proclaimed the message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus there. And so for Paul, despite the opposition, Despite the trip being cut short, it was a success. It was not without results. Uh, we, we run a few mission trips um, every year uh, with students. We head off to different parts of the country. In June, July, we run a, a mission trip uh, in Hermanus where we go and we teach a bunch of um, prim uh, primary school kids. Uh, we run a holiday club for them, teaching them about Jesus. In September this year, we're hoping to be back in Douglas in the Northern Cape, uh, visiting schools and churches and teaching them about the good news of Jesus. Now, just think for a moment, when we come back from a mission trip like that, what aspects would define whether we think it was a successful trip or not? What, what, what were the things for us that would be the, the tick boxes for, yeah, it was a good trip? Uh, maybe safe travels, I guess that, that's a good one. Um, a, a good time with friends and you know, getting to know one another better, that's a great reason. Maybe a long list of converts, people who respond to the gospel message. That's definitely a fantastic reason to, to say the mission trip was a success. You see Paul's focus? Uh, Paul's focus was... Uh, on it being a successful mission trip was that they had the opportunity to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the people in Thessalonica. Uh, even though they faced severe opposition, God had strengthened them, enabled them to boldly proclaim the truth. Now, Paul's purpose in this passage 
as we said at the beginning, is to continue to give them confidence uh, that they are genuine Christians. Chapter 1, he did it by focusing on their response, faith, love, hope. Uh, Here in chapter 2, he focuses on their, that's Paul and Silas's character. And he says, he says, he wants us to see that they are authentic gospel messengers, bringing the authentic gospel. An uh, easy way to discredit a message is to discredit the messenger. Just wait for any political elections, and you see that happening all over, whether it's true or false. And you can imagine some of this going on in Thessalonica. The Jews who had been jealous, who had opposed Paul, starting to spread rumors about Paul, to bring to question his motives, why he was there, why he had shared the gospel with them, what what his aim was, what his desire was, what was really driving him. Throughout this passage, you get phrases like, you know, you remember. Paul wants them to remember how he was with them. He wants them to remember what his aim and his purposes was, what his attitude was when he was with them. And as they think back to that, and they, and they see his motives, they see his method, they are to have confidence that these guys were there as authentic gospel messengers, bringing the authentic gospel message. Paul and Silas had brought the message to the Thessalonians in, in the midst of much difficulty, much opposition. They had been arrested in Philippi, but they continued to proclaim the message. When they came to Thessalonica, continuing to proclaim it there, then opposition arises again. Jealous Jews formed the mob, started a riot, and even Paul and uh, Silas had to flee. When they get to Berea, the Jews followed them there and kept opposing them and and, uh, trying to prevent their message from going forward. Paul says, that the coming to them was not a failure. The riot, not a failure. Despite the arrest of Christians, their trip was not a failure. Despite Paul and Silas being chased out of town, their trip was not a failure. And the reason why is because they could declare what God wanted them to declare, and that God is at work among them, achieving his purposes. In verse 3 to 12, Paul fleshes out um, his, his motivation in ministry and his method in ministry. And he does this to show that he is an authentic gospel minister, an authentic gospel messenger bringing the authentic gospel message. So let's uh, look at Paul's ministry motivation. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 3. For the appeal uh, we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not, not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know that we never used flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or from anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted 
our authority. Instead, we were gentle among you. Uh, did you notice as Paul fleshes out there his motive in ministry, there's, there's both a positive and a negative. We were like this, but not like this. And uh, the not like this is a much longer list than the like this. Uh, did, you, did you notice those words? Yeah, our, our motive did not spring from error, not from impure motives. Uh, he wasn't trying to trick them or catch them out or lead them astray. They were not trying to please people. They were not greedy, not wanting their own gain or benefit out of it. They never used flattery. They didn't look for the praise from people. They weren't looking for financial gain from their ministry. Now, as we go through that list, I'm sure we can think of occasions of people in ministry for the wrong reasons. People looking for praise from people. People looking for financial gain. People looking for power and influence. We can imagine how these accusations about Paul would have started to stir from these jealous Jews. And Paul's answer here to these accusations is a resounding no. None of them stick. None of them stand. You know how we were when we were with you. So then what is Paul's motives? What's the thing that drives him in ministry? Well, look again at verse 4. That really highlights it. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not uh, trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. Now they speak as one approved. That is one appointed by God to go and take the gospel message out. And their aim, their aim is to please God, not to please people, not to please others, but to please God, the one who has given them that task. Paul and Silas saw their mission in life to serve God, to proclaim the good news of Jesus. And they wanted to please God and him alone. If that meant that they, were, they would face opposition, suffering, persecution, that was okay. Their drive was to please God. So in the face of opposition, in the face of hardship, they continue to proclaim the great news of Jesus. And so Paul looks at the ministry and says, it was a success we could do that. In verse 6 to 9, um, we see that this, this um, motivation in ministry is proved by Paul's method in ministry. You see, how they acted when they were with them shows and proves their ministry motivation. And here, Paul uses um, two, uh, two illustrations, two, two figures to compare his, how he was with them. It's as a mother and as a father. Let's look at each of those. So Paul says he served them, he served God's people like a mother. He didn't make demands on them. As an apostle, he could have. He could have gone there and said, look, I'm, I'm working here, I'm serving you, you should pay me. And there's other areas in the New Testament where they do call Christians to pay their ministers, and please do keep doing that. And not just for the sake of my salary. Um, but he... 
Paul going on this missionary trip didn't want to make any demands. He wanted to serve them, to share the gospel with them at no cost. He, he didn't want to be a burden to them while he was with them. Look at, at verse 9. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. They, they worked night and day. In the day, slaving away, doing their, their trades to earn some money. In the night, sharing the gospel, proclaiming it. And as we see, even sharing their lives with them. Uh, many of you will know that um, Paul was a, a tent maker by trade. So more than likely, making tents during the day, doing some labor that he can do to earn his keep, and then proclaiming the gospel, but with this deep care for them, not wanting to be a burden on them. Now, um, just to think about that, that picture of a mother. Uh, have any of you paid your mother for their service? Maybe some of you getting older now, you actually feel like you should give gifts and pay. Um, I've got four kids sitting at the back there. Um, they, they do not pay their mother. They don't even realize how much their mother serves them. That is the picture here with Paul. Loving, caring for, serving these people like a mother. Not wanting to be a burden, but seeking to sacrificially serve them. Paul says, remember how we served you as a mother, not demanding anything back from you. Then secondly, uh, he, Paul was like a father to them. Let's pick it up in verse 10. You are witness, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. Here we see that Paul was both um, an example of how to live. He, was, he lived a righteous, holy, blameless life. And he, was, and he exhorted them to do the same. He encouraged them. He spurred them on. He comforted them with the gospel in the face of affliction that they, that they faced. He exhorted them to live lives worthy of God. Paul's desire to please God, that gets worked out in what he proclaims them. Like a father wanting the best for his children, guiding them, nurturing them, teaching them, warning them, growing them, steering them in the right direction. Paul and Silas had a deep desire to see these Christians live lives worthy of God. And as a father with a child, he exhorted, he comforted, he encouraged them day by day. And Paul did this all willingly. And he did this because of the work of God in his life. The power of God working in Paul and Silas, enabling them to proclaim this authentic gospel message in the face of extreme and severe suffering. 
Paul ends this section thanking God again. Second time he's done it in this letter. Thanking God for the Thessalonian Christians. Uh, Verses 13 to 16 really is an echo of chapter 1. If you missed last week, you can download the the talk on the website. But go read um, chapter 1 and see the echo. Um, And this echo is, again, to give them confidence that they are authentic Christians because of how they have accepted the authentic gospel message. In verse 13, they received the word not merely as human words, but as it really is, as the word from God. And this word has been at work in them. It's been shaping them and changing them. It's caused them, as we saw in chapter 1, to turn from idols and to turn to the one and only true living God. In verse 14, we saw that they became imitators of the churches. And if we read on, we see that it's imitators in the suffering that the churches faced. As the um, churches in Judea faced opposition, uh, suffering, um, so the churches in Thessalonica faced opposition and suffering, and they stood firm and endured and held to the, the word. Suffering is part and parcel of being a Christian. We live in a time when, where typically we don't suffer much for being a Christian. That's abnormal. The norm is to face opposition and suffering. I'm sure even in a group like this, we'll be able to list a different story where we have faced opposition, whether it's family members who think you're an idiot because you believe some old-fashioned, out-of-date, backward thing, or whether it is physical opposition as people have hated you. Maybe you've lost friends uh, as you've been converted. It happened to Jesus. He was opposed. It happened to the prophets, the apostles. It happened to the Thessalonians. Uh, Suffering as a Christian. Opposition to the Christian message is part and parcel of following Jesus. Now, as we close, just a few areas of application to think about. Firstly, have confidence in the authentic gospel message. As we've said, Paul's purpose in these first two chapters is really to drive home confidence in the authentic gospel message and the work of the authentic gospel. We have the authentic gospel in the pages of scripture. God has made it known to us. We can see Paul, we can see the apostles, we can see how they lived, their their motivation, their method. Um, This proves to us that they're not fakes, they're not con men. They have been entrusted by God with the genuine gospel message, and they have recorded it for us to read. So have faith in the authentic gospel message. And secondly, what type of leaders are we looking to? Now, as uh, Paul described their motivation, their method in ministry, it should challenge us about what we are looking for in leaders. Are we looking for someone who is a great entertainer, someone who's bubbly, who just makes all sorts of funny jokes? 
Um, or are we looking for someone who is deeply concerned about us, deeply concerned about those in their ministry? Are we looking for someone who is first and foremost seeking to please God above all else? Uh, someone who's not driven by their own passions and desires, but sets those aside and seeks to serve and please God. And thirdly, let me ask you, what drives you? What motivates you? As you think about the year ahead, as you think about your life ahead, what is driving you? How much are we tempted to seek to please people live lives so that other people like us. That's a natural thing. We want to be liked by others. But how does that compare to wanting to please God? Seeking to please Him above all else. Then finally, we ask you, have you, like the Thessalonians, accepted this authentic message of the gospel? Uh, have you accepted it as the very words of God? Not merely words of men uh, that were written down many years ago, but as the words of the one and only true living God. Have you experienced the transforming power of God at work in you through his word? Turn and serve the one and only living God. Jesus came into this world to die to make that possible so that we can be forgiven and we can be part of God's family. Jesus died to make us part of that eternal family. Do you believe this? Are you part of his family? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you that your word is at work in this world. Thank you that the true message of the gospel has gone out, that it's been preserved, that we have access to it now, that we can read it, we can understand it. Father, we pray that your work in each one of our hearts uh, cause us to love your word, cause us to submit ourselves before its truth. Father, we pray that your word will be at work in us, shaping us, changing us, causing us to live lives worthy of you. Father, we pray that you will give us confidence in what you're doing in this world through your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.